Hey everybody, the con artist here. We have made it through winter 2018-2019 and we're here to tell you all about the shows that we watch this core. The good, the bad, and whatever the heck happened with Scott because he watched like a million things. I did kind of watch a lot of them. What have you done, Scott? Too much anime. All right, anime. so because you've watched too much anime, you're going to start us off with... Well, still with uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime. So this was a continuation from last season. And I don't have too much to say. Like, I, my sort of thoughts from last time mostly stand. Uh, still looks really good. It continues to be a fun story, even though the focus changed kind of midway through from building a country, which had kind of been the focus up till now, to the main character going to teach some kids kind of at a school setting, which was unexpected, but you know, they still handled it pretty well. Uh, in terms of its negatives, still targeted at a male audience, but not that egregious most of the time, so it, you can handle it. And also, like, really low stakes uh it's kind of nice because you're never really worried that anything bad's going to happen to anybody but also you can't really get quite as invested because everything's always going to be fine still recommended like this uh this is a show i can recommend to people so it's good that's cool very nice yeah that's pretty sweet so let's throw out low stakes and go with really high stakes, like all your limbs being sold to a demon. How's that oh, going, Dan? <laughs> yeah, so I followed uh, Dororo, and it was pretty good overall. It's still running, so it's kind of hard to make a make a real judgment on it at this point, because um, I'm really going to be interested in seeing how it wraps up. This is uh, the product of a very long-running manga, and I think there was an earlier anime adaptation. There's been a bunch of adaptations of this, actually, because it's one of the kind of progenitors of uh, period fantasy anime. Well, it's Tezuka, yeah, too. exactly. The god oh, of wow. manga. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely tell his influence in both the character designs and everything else. Uh, though that does, re- re- uh, excuse me, that does result in some very strange moments now and then when you have these otherwise fairly realistic characters sharing screen space with some folks who are much, much more stylized, especially in the background. And that gets to be a little odd. And there's some real dips in animation quality towards the end, or oh. I guess I guess towards the middle, technically, since we're still very much in the heart of the season. Um the pacing is actually... Nadia syndrome? Yeah, some of that in there. Um, the pacing is actually, again, kind of hard to gauge because we're still in the middle of things, but based on where I think everything is going, it's actually pretty good. We have just hit sort of a... We've hit the midpoint, and we're also finally seeing two plot threads starting to come together, which uh, definitely ups the stakes and makes things a bit more personal. So I'm definitely interested in seeing where it concludes. Overall, uh, some really good action, especially in the early parts, some interesting stories with the uh, various demons and whatnot, but your enjoyment is really going to depend on how well you can tolerate the kind of clashing art styles and also how you can deal with their sometimes very heavy-handed approach to war is bad and people are often the real monsters kind of thing, because there's cases where they lay it on a little bit thick. But, you know, at the same time, it is warring states-era Japan, and everything was pretty miserable for everyone, so I can sort of understand it. So, Dan, two quick things before we move on from that. Um, The premise looked incredibly gory. Um, Can you just comment on that quick, if we have kiddos in the audience? Sure. And... um, I read, I did not read the article, but ANN posted this monstrous article all about um, the history behind what was going on in Dororo and, you know, the warring states of Japan, the warring era of Japan. Did you feel like they did a good job capturing that history? Um, to start with your first question, uh, the gore is actually, um, I've seen worse I've also seen much more, you know, much more PG stuff. It's kind of middle of the road, um, but that really depends on your personal tolerance. Um, There's some stuff, uh, especially when you see the main character who is not, well, Dororo is the perspective, not necessarily the uh, dude with all of his limbs missing. Um, But uh, the main character's childhood was extraordinarily unpleasant, and those scenes can be very hard to watch. But uh, the rest of it is, I wouldn't call it hyper-violent, um, but I wouldn't call it tame either. Definitely definitely on the strong end of uh, most anime you'll see nowadays. 
All right, so it's not quite goblin no, slayers. No, but like, yeah. but like people are still getting cut on screen. Uh, yes, there's there's pl- okay. there's plenty of violence, but the violence against humans is generally less extreme than what goes on with the demons. But um, gotta hate those demons. Mm-hmm. But to go to the uh, to your other question, I can't really gauge because my knowledge of the period is somewhat limited. But from everything that I've absorbed uh, through other medium and media and whatnot, I would say. That it definitely captures the fact that, you know, war was constant. Like, different clans were changing allegiances, people were fighting, and uh, armies were on the march all the time. So, anytime there was an interaction with the non-military uh, populace, with the civilians and everything else, it could go either way. Sometimes they'd be fine, other times they'd be awful to the locals, and if it was in the territory of someone that they particularly didn't like, then it was just then it was just terrible. But it's also sort of like, it's it's oppressive, and I think that's intentional, but it becomes so oppressive that there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, contrast to it. You don't see many instances of people eking out like, you know, small pleasures or, you know, little moments where the where the war and everything about it isn't uh pushing in you see a little bit of that towards the end based on where you are but i feel like there could have been a little bit more of that at some point or another just to change the tone a little bit a touch of levity here and there just a scooch but overall still a good still a good show looking forward to seeing where it ends Hmm. so recommended and you're going to keep following it agreed yes oh nice all right. Interesting. Okay, so we will soften the blow now with Shingeki no Buhama Minari of Friends. That's a mouthful. Oui. Um, so it gets that Shingeki no Buhama title because I believe these characters, Scott, you're going to have to correct me a little. These characters or the scenario is a spinoff of the Shingeki no Buhama universe? Yeah, best I can understand. It's like Shingeki no Buhama is like an online game, and there's been two seasons of anime that follow i'm guessing some kind of major plot line and this seems like it was a specific event that happened in the game that has been adapted into an anime it has essentially no bearing on the other two shows at all bingo so it's it's very soft it's very gentle it's very yuri bait yeah um it has uh two characters princess anne and princess greta princess greta is like princess of the demon world or something and anne is princess of one of the kingdoms none of that really matters because they're just in school and they just interact with each other and there's like little vignettes of them doing stuff all around the school very slice of life yeah very slice of lifey um so we're just we're going to start with the most important piece. This show is absolutely oh beautiful. Oh my goodness, it's so pretty. Gosh. The the production values on this show are very high and this show looks good 100% of the time. So these are short form episodes, um not 5 minutes, but each one is only 15 minutes. So you got that going for it and yeah, it just it looked gorgeous all the time. Yeah, like it's like it's pretty all the time, and then sometimes like they'll just be like, "Oh, by the way, it can get prettier." You're like, "Yeah, exactly." Oh my goodness, how is this this yeah. pretty? Like, this, this, uh... like it looked good, and then what was it? Scott? Episode four. There's a sequence with a piano. Oh, the piano, like to feel like, the flowers you go to the that top piano. Of the school, and there's just like the billowing sakura petals with the piano, and you're like, "We get it, show. You have all the production value. <laughs> we get it. Just step away from the drawing board." So. Yeah, it's beautiful the whole way through. Um, musically, it sounds very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I did not enjoy it in the beginning. I almost dropped it. Uh, There's, episodes one through three yeah. are a test, guys. <laughs> they're a test to see if you could make it through that threshold. Because um, they're just creepy. Like Yuri B on, on crack. And after that, it's like... it tones that down i mean it's still definitely yuri bait to the point where in my opinion there is an episode where they practically solidify it but not quite i'll take what i can get um in a very anime they, they kind of way yeah they practically close it down but the episodes get really like cute and heartwarming after that yeah like, oh these two really care about each other and their interactions are really adorable and the vignettes are they're really great like you start to have fun yeah, like it's it's kind of heartfelt after the like initial really heavy Eurobeat episodes. It has like twists and turns in the relationship that kind of feel natural, and I I liked watching them develop together. So it was good, but there are some drawbacks. Uh, not yes. not all of the scenes meet this criteria. Like the pandering to a male audience can sometimes be really intense. 
Uh, oh, yes. Like, a good example is this beach episode, right? And, of course, it was a beach episode. The two of them take off so that Greya can teach Anne how to swim. It actually was a good sequence. Like, Anne needed to learn to trust Greya. Greya was patient and believable as an instructor. A little bit heartwarming. But then every other shot is, like, the bathing suit line or their chest, and now you feel like some kind of pervert fish. So, like, not great. Uh, and then there's this creepy teacher that forces students to dress up in her costumes. And, like, can we just not have that character? Oh, it's one like, of them. You don't add... Yeah, you don't yeah, add, you don't add anything to this show. Like, you need to go away. Get out of here. But, Scott, then there's my personal favorite, Hannah and <laughs> her <laughs> loyal servant, Lady Monocle. So in terms of character development, Greya and Anne get a lot of character development. Their relationship is really heartwarming and cute. And practically nobody else matters. Yeah, like, everyone much. else in the show is just there and whatever. I liked Hannah because she's voiced by Nana Mizuki, who is like... I love her forever. But anyway, the point is, none of them really matter. So I had this, like, my own little gag show going in my head where <laughs> Hannah, like, the student council president, is always, like, impassionedly doing stuff and either not doing it quite right or Anne and Greya just cause headaches for her later on. And she's like, I freaking hate you two. Like, in a <laughs> playful way. And then her loyal servant, Monocle. I'm not even kidding. I don't know her name. I don't even know if she has a name. <laughs> I don't even know if she does. Like, she's always just following Hannah around, like, oh, Taisho, I'll do anything for you. So, like, in my head, it was just this little puppet show where Hannah was, like, moving around, and Monocle is like, I'll do anything you need, Taisho. Oh, Monocle, you're my favorite. Thanks, Taisho. Like, they are just so ridiculous, and they don't mean anything to the plot, but it amused me greatly to see them on screen. So, yeah, there's no other character development you're watching for that little slice of lifey goodness. And ultimately, I think it's it's a fun show, but I I don't actually recommend it. Like I watched it, it was fine, and it's probably gonna just drop out of my head eventually. Yeah, like I was gonna say, like I put you sure recommended. Like I don't have strong feelings on it either way. Uh you could watch it for the art, or I guess the dragon girl, if that's your thing. Like I think that's what Grey is, like a half dragon. So yeah, that's, I guess. that's the reason to recommend it. I mean, there's nothing, I guess there are bad things about it, like to say, stay away, but I guess a tepid recommendation <laughs> if it if it's what you want. A, a resounding yep, I'll, meh? I'll be all right with that. Yeah, resounding meh. And, and only in the sense that it's hard to recommend, not in, like it's beautiful and some of the vignettes are very touching. So, eh, uh, like... I, I still kind of say no. Just come to Scott or I and ask for which episodes are good. That's true. <laughs> we'll like, tell you. Some of them are, are better than others. So, All right. That seems pretty good. Uh, Indeed. What's next? Moving on from there, uh, another kind of fantasy one, Rising of the Shield Hero, which, uh, boy, I got a lot of things to say about this show. Scott, uh, before you start, I am ecstatic for this because so I know very little outside of reading the little premise online. But I was uh, on YouTube at one point, and since I watched too much anime nonsense, my feed had something. It was very early, like maybe one or two episodes had come out. And this person had posted a video that's, that was called Rising of the Shield Hero is a Dumpster Fire. <laughs> and I was like, Scott, I am so excited. For, I never, I did not watch it, but I'm so excited for what you have to say. There's a lot, because the show is, I think, quite popular this season. It's like a lot of people are watching it. So... I'll get the pros out of the way. It does. It looks good. Like the show looks very good. The animation is solid and never goes downhill. Uh, the fantasy world they have is pretty richly imagined. Like magic, item usage and crafting, politics of the country that summon the heroes, the way these waves, which are like big groups of monsters that show up periodically that the heroes need to face off again. Like it kind of works. It's one of the better imaginings of an RPG style world that feels consistent with RPG rules in a way that's interesting and doesn't break your suspension of disbelief most of the time. Uh, also, anytime the Shield Hero's party is at adventuring, that's the best part of the show. Uh, as the Shield Hero learns about how the world works and finds out how to survive in it, you kind of find yourself rooting for him to succeed and to keep improving. Uh, and there's a good sense of mystery about the world. There's stuff going on behind the scenes, and you kind of want to learn more about it. So there are pros that make the show like kind of worth watching. Uh, but then there's a lot of cons. Uh, principally, like... The, the major setup for the show feels manipulative and kind of gross. 
So basically, these heroes get summoned in, and there's like the the bow hero, the sword hero, the spear hero, and the shield hero. And the other three guys can actually attack people, and the shield hero can't. So like he can't fight on his own. Uh, he needs, but also the country hates him. Like they get summoned every once in a while, and like the shield hero's role, no one loves, no one likes that guy. Anyway, he gets set up by this woman that joins his party, steals all of his stuff, and then accuses him of rape. Like day one, eight o'clock, first episode. And now the whole country hates this guy. He gets cut off from support. And that's why he's out learning to survive while the other heroes get an easy ride on the country's dime. And then at every opportunity, that same woman comes back and tries to totally ruin him and take everything he has away from him. And just like the, the, the rage and the righteous fury the show is trying to get you to feel at her and the king and the country, it just feels like really unhealthy. I don't want to identify with the main character uh, because of all of that. So that was like a big, big turnoff for this show. Yeah, that's kind of, that. that's pretty terrible. That feels like someone taped, like, kicking a puppy and was like, is, this is my sad movie, my sad artsy <laughs> movie. And you're like, no, that's just awful and I'm calling the cops on you now. Also, someone adopt that poor puppy. Yeah, like, it's manipulative in a way that doesn't feel good. Like, I don't want to identify with this guy. You're doing this to earn my sympathy, and you're failing at every turn. Right, it's not, it, yeah, it's not even, I guess sympathy, or like, maybe even empathy, like, they want you to be like, aren't you angry on his behalf? Yeah, take down the system, and you're like, uh. Oh, uh, dear. And also, the other big one, like, the big one is, this show has a hard-on for slavery. Like, so he's hated by everyone, but he needs to find a way to survive and level up because he can't do damage. So the country has a sanctioned demi-human slave market. So he goes there and buys this raccoon girl uh, to fight on his behalf, essentially. And she, like, immediately falls in love with him. Of course. Then he hatches, then he hatches a bird girl almost by accident. And the first thing he does is, like, go back there and enslave her, too. At which point she also falls in love with him. Uh, like, Great. Yeah, like the show goes out of its way to promote slavery. At one point, like the raccoon girl gets freed by someone else, the, the woman who wants to ruin his life again. And then she voluntarily re-enslaves herself to him as a show of faith and support in the shield hero. And then she admonishes the other heroes for not buying slaves, since that would improve the slave's life. It's like really uncomfortable. Now, of course, he's a standard anime protagonist guy with a bit of a chip on a, a big chip on his shoulder but like he's a good guy at heart and slavery never amounts to anything but it's still squatting there behind everything in the show and you're like show this is your message really like what yeah that's weird and creepy Very. it's kind of like it's it's bad like what do also you... we're gonna have to pause the podcast so i can go gargle my mouth with the <laughs> mouthwash <laughs> so yeah, that's that would be the, I guess, the two big cons of the show, and they're extremely large cons. Uh, so I guess, Scott, where do you stand? Because it's, it's a two-core, yeah? You're it's a two-core. I, I will continue watching it. Like, the adventuring parts, the ones where I said the show was at its best, are the majority of the show. Like, in terms of time, they're at least three-quarters of it compared to, like, a quarter of the other stuff. Like, oh, look how bad and evil the country is and how much everyone hates this guy. Uh, so if you can get past the cons and want to watch it for those parts, go for it. But like, it's hard to recommend, I guess, even if it is quite popular this season. So obviously people like it. Black. Yeah. Then they all need some Listerine in their lives. Have some Listerine on hand when watching this show. Because every once in a while it's going to make a pitch for to you and you'll be like, no, nope, take that back. Don't eat it. <laughs> Interesting. All right, what do we got next? How about the spiritual successor to Kimono Friends? You mean as opposed to the uh, actual successor to Kimono Friends? <laughs> yes, exactly that. <laughs> uh, like the guy who the, the guy who originally directed Kimono Friends, Totsuki, and his uh, his studio like got kicked out of Katakawa or something like that. So they're like, "Hey, we'll make our own anime," and they did, uh, and it's called Kemarikusa. And it's very weird. Yeah, it's. I watched it too. It's very weird. <laughs> it's, um, that sounds right up your alley, Brendan. Very yeah. weird. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, 
it kind of follows a, a group of sisters uh, who are also plants, like sentient question leaves. mark. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> like they walk around in human bodies, but like the core of their being is actually a magical leaf. <laughs> uh, and they they're hunting for water in a uh, a decaying urban hellscape, and. There doesn't appear to be any precipitation, and they don't expel liquid water, even though they need it to live. So the amount of water that is still on the island chain that they are currently on is kind of a functional limit on how long they're going to live. Uh, That's grim. Like, the, the story's Yeah, stuck... geez, is it kind of existential? <laughs> it's, a little bit. It has, like, uh, a sort of, yeah, like, pervading sense of dread. Like, not, not really dread, but, like, everything's dark and sort of... Like, the, the characters are having a good time kind of traveling with each other, but you're always, like... Uh, things are things are rough for these characters. Like things don't. The outlook isn't good. There's a a very early part in the episode. I want to say like two or three when the uh like the story starts with them having uh gotten to a sort of remote edge of the archipelago, and one of their options is we just stay here, live out the rest of our days, however many long that is, and it isn't very long, and evaporate rather than go back into the very dangerous part of the island and and see what else there might be to find uh because like by the time they got to where they are in story start half of the original set of sisters died yeah which i think is actually it's actually a very interesting part of the show is that like you hear from the characters that are you know still on screen about these other sisters like a lot like they talk you almost kind of know who they are uh, even though you've never met them, which I thought was kind of an interesting way of doing it. Like, oh yeah, this person, these personality traits, and here's the things that she did for us. And you're like, I, I kind of wish I could have met her. Yeah. Like they're all very different people, which is a cool thing. Uh, and then like the, the sort of kickoff to the uh, show's story is that while pumping in water to their vat from a, uh, a place where they actually found a pretty decent cache of it, they accidentally... Like this, this guy materializes out of the uh, out of the tube, just like falls into the thing, out of friggin' nowhere. Uh, and then he's like, he's apparently human, uh, and he's like, so I know what my name is. I can apparently speak the same language as you guys, and that's pretty much it. I have no other memory. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not a sentient leaf, <laughs> and they're like, we don't understand, and we fear anything that isn't a sentient leaf. Like, what is your problem? Right, but you're also not the other thing that we fear, which is like pseudo mechanical red robot monsters. Oh my gosh, I really thought you were going to be like pseudo mechanical red leaf blowers. And I was like, please, <laughs> please, please. please. <laughs> you know, if you squint, one of them kind of looks like a leaf blower. Oh, okay. My dream. It's fulfilled now. I mean, it's, Go more, on. it's more of a laser leaf blower, but you know. That's fine. It's Japan. I'm yeah. good. Right. But uh, that sort of like kicks off a chain of events that involves them going back into the island and like braving the dangers and seeing what else there is to find and unraveling sort of the mystery of where they are. Yeah, what's interesting is like there's a there's a lot of mystery about like how anything works in this world and where they are, but the show doesn't focus on revealing it. Like it's kind of more about the characters and their journey, and they'll sort of feed you little bits and pieces of the world, but they're never gonna, I guess, explain the mystery. They ended up. They ended up explaining a lot more than I was expecting. More than I expected, but certainly not everything and not, I don't know, there's a lot out there. This is true. That's kind of neat because it's sort of like you are learning this little pocket of a story through these characters. They give you insight into other characters which aren't there, but the world is a big place and you're not going to solve all the mysteries of it with just these two people. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually because like sisters, it's like a group of... I think they're like six of the sisters, roughly. And sort like, of. This random, sort of. Like, one of them is split into multiple sub people. Like, it's, they all have weird, like, each sister has a complete different, like, set of sort of abilities or powers that all interact with each other. So, like, that's kind of neat, too. And I love their pet tree trunk. <laughs> that's true. They carry around this tree with them. Well, um, of course, the, yeah, the core uh, of the tree trunk is actually just a stick. But, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So very weird. Oh, it should be noted. So this is, um, it is 100% computer generated. For those of you who saw the first Kimono Friends, like the CG is that janky. Yeah, like it's it's janky. There is not a large budget. Like action scenes strain their capabilities to the limits and beyond. 
uh, and actually sometimes they'll just be like, we're just going to pan over a static image and have some talking. Like it feels like I'm watching um, Violence to Hamlin again or something. Huh. Makeup Girl season two. No budget. Yeah. <laughs> no budget. But like they still tell a pretty compelling story, like regardless of these limitations. So good for them. Yeah, I feel like the first couple of episodes, there's a little like the dialogue is a little uh, repetitive and awkward, but it gets a lot better as it goes on, I think. Hmm. Very recommended. I would recommend it too. Odd, but like a good time. What else we got? Interesting. Oh, so I watched, uh, what's his face there? Mob Psycho 100 season two, which I didn't know they were going to make, but they did. Uh, so... I guess hopefully you you people listening have heard it. It's a direct sequel. So like if you don't, if you haven't watched the first show, you're not going to have too much of an idea of who all these people are in the second season. So like definitely watch it. Uh, it is a worthy successor to the original. Uh, the fights look as incredible as always. Like the animation really brilliantly conveys the intensely kinetic nature of these uh, sort of Esper battles. Uh, and like they'll change style sort of for the, for the fights relative to the regular the regular story and it's very well done uh the story is also not just more of the same like mob the main character grows as a person in a different but still believable and interesting way compared to his growth in the first season so it's very well characterized uh also the the side not really side but like second mainish character reagan uh we get a really good look at him as well, which was kind of a pleasant surprise. Like, I didn't think they were going to bother digging into his character, but they did, and it was well told, and it was good. Uh, on the con side, I feel like the power level in the show kind of got cranked up way too high. Like, there are other espers besides the main character, but no one... Like, and they have opponents to fight, but, like, none of these side characters that are on his side ever stand a chance against the people they're facing. Like, mobs, the beginning and the end of their hopes to, like, beat anybody. Which is kind of a shame because the other guys have interesting powers. They just kind of never win without mob on them. Scott, if we use Gorilla Lagan as a scale, think of it like the RF Spectrum scale. What percentage Gorilla Lagan <laughs> are we going here? Uh, I mean, it's still like, it's still set on Earth in one city. So. But like, if he needed to beat up the moon, could he? If Mob needed to, if he really needed to beat up the moon, uh, he's probably like halfway there. Oh man, that's a lot of Gurren Lagan then. Yeah, like We're it's, getting there. It's, right? 40% maybe? Yeah, like 40%, 40% output on beating up the moon. Uh, so it, it, it seemed like a little too much, uh, but whatever. It, I mean, do I recommend it? Absolutely. Uh, it's really good. It's. Like, it's nice to see Mob kind of come out of his shell a lot more than he did in the first season. Just make sure you watch that first season. You're going to be totally confused. Uh, but yeah, that's what I got. Interesting. <gasps> Dan, <laughs> is your roommate a cat? Uh, yes, I actually do have a cat as one of my roommates now, but... Um... Me too! <laughs> oh, look at you guys. Cats for everyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this case, yes, My Roommate is a Cat was a uh, nice little series that I picked up. I started it out and was kind of iffy on it at the beginning. I wasn't really a fan of the main character. He's this shut-in author who's, like, really antisocial and has massive anxiety about dealing with other people. And there's a lot of uh, trauma to him because his parents were killed uh, in an accident not too long before the start of our show. But... Uh, he kind of grow, begins to grow uh, out of that over the course of this uh, show, a lot of it with the help of a stray cat that he adopts. And what really sells the show for me is the fact that, you know, it's it's very heartwarming and it's not exactly like striving for any kind of truly deep meaning or like very com <laughs> deep insight into the human or cat condition. Not for the most part, but it does do a very good job of sort of elaborating on their relationship. And how, you know, they both come to need each other and how they react to each other. And the best part of that is the fact that usually the first half to two thirds of the episode will be uh, the human, uh, the author, dealing with something to do with this cat or something in his life that the cat is tangentially related to. Uh, be it having people over, dealing with his editor, dealing with fans or um, like a book signing, that sort of thing. 
uh, or, you know, he's trying to learn how to feed the cat properly because uh, he's taken her to the vet and it turns out that she's a bit overweight. So the first, like I said, half to two thirds will be his perspective as he learns more about taking care of this animal, slowly opening up to people or at least being willing to go out into public, even if he still prefers being by himself. Um, and then the last half to a third will be from the cat's perspective. And they do a really good job of sort of... Oh, that's kind of cool. Aw, kitty. Yeah, the cat's name is Haru, and it is it is adorable. Um, but it's also a little bit of a punk. You know, it's a cat. So, well, it's a cat, yeah. I was about to say. Come on <laughs> so what's really cool about this is that, you know, Haru is... Like, obviously she's personified, but she's not... Like, it's not human thoughts. She's focused on food, where she can nap, whether she's feeling safe or not, um, what's, you know, what's agitating or scaring her at that time. And, you know, she's aloof. She will, you know, she changes her mind quickly. She will, she will be very unpredictable in her reactions, which to him don't necessarily make sense, are given way more context when you're seeing everything from her perspective. So, again, maybe not exactly breaking new ground with this, but it's a really well-done representation of how a domesticated animal thinks. And I really enjoyed those. She sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah. I I really enjoyed those parts. In fact, I could kind of, like, snooze through his parts because, while, again, (laughs) his, his story does have compelling elements to it, and you may enjoy it more than I did, there's definitely, like... I don't know. He he kind of got on my nerves after a little while, whereas Haru, partly because we spent less time with her and partly because, you know, it's a cat. So seeing its more simplistic reactions to everything is just a little bit more at a base level, more entertaining. Um, those parts I really enjoyed. So I can recommend it for those uh, for those certainly. And if you also can empathize with the uh, fellow then so much the better. It's a good, decent, heartwarming show. Not the best thing I've ever seen, but definitely worth your time. She does sound kind of interesting. Cool. Yeah, it sounds adorable. But you're right. The cat perspective sounds much more interesting because, like, there's plenty of shows where ah, I'm a manga artist or whatever, and my life, you know, I live at home and my life is tough. But the cat things, the cat things, the new angle. Mm-hmm. Instead of like a cute neighbor neighbor girl who comes over and like you know breaks him out of his shell, it turns out it's a cat. And that cat is not also a human or like a princess from another dimension or whatever other ridiculous nonsense. It's oh my goodness! Now isn't that novel? You're telling me this cat doesn't turn into a girl? No, I don't. I don't understand. No, thank goodness. Yeah, I know. I'm a little shocked. <laughs> I'm also kind of happy the cat doesn't speak like a human girl. Like as much as I loved she and her cat, both the little extra on the Voices of a Distant Star DVD and the little show that they made, mm-hmm. it was super cute. But like. It's flipped in that one, like, it's a girl with a male cat, and her cat, Daru, definitely speaks a bit like she's his girlfriend. Yeah, no, uh, it's... Like, and so it's, it's, it's like, borderline weird, but, like, you get it, he's like, she is my human, and I love her the most, and you're like, you're a cat. <laughs> no, it's nothing like that, it's more of a, this is a person, this is a person who, t- who helps take care of me but also someone that I must protect because, you know, she was a stray, she was a street cat, and as such, she's been through some real hardship, some genuinely heartbreaking stuff at certain points. And so she sees this guy who's barely able to take care of himself, can't really function in society, and she immediately wants to protect him. That's her instinct. And it's genuinely endearing if, you know, played a little heavy at times. Hmm. So yeah, definitely worth it. Get yourself a cat, people. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds, sounds, sounds worth the watch. So what do we got next? Why, why don't hmm. we just take it as far on the other direction as we can with Magical Girl Spec Ops Asuka. Oh, God, no. Uh, oh, God, I'm so excited no. for this show because, Scott, you've been dodging my laser gaze for so long. But finally, finally, I can judge you thanks to you watching Asuka. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, well, first I get to judge Asuka, but go ahead, Dan. Oh, I, I watched, like, the first five minutes of this. It was just like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't know what it was that had me stick with it, but I do regret it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, first off, before I get to the part where I, where I don't recommend it, uh, we'll go through the pros. So... The animation quality is very high throughout the show, so I will give it that. Like, it does look good. Uh, and the concept, like, the, the sort of the premise is interesting, which is basically, what if pag- powerful magical girls appeared in more of a kind of a real-world setting? So rather than fighting the enemy on their own and, like, hiding from 
you know, everyone when they're a magical girl, they get the support of world governments and militaries to help in their fight to protect humanity. Uh, but when that war against magical enemies ends and they succeed, the magical girls are still there. And now every government, terrorist organization, and criminal syndicate wants their incredible and nigh unstoppable power. So you get some kind of interesting things like how ordinary soldiers could train to fight or at least somewhat delay a magical enemy and how conventional weapons and vehicles can make a difference or assist the magical girls when they're trying to do stuff. So, like, that part's kind of interesting. It's everything we wanted from Is That of the Last Wish. <laughs> it's kind of that, except for all the cons. <laughs> because, oh my goodness, there's so many cons. Ah, uh, con, uh, con air up in here. Con air. Like, the show is absolutely brutal. Like, people are getting hacked to bits, sliced in half, crushed by magical barriers, limbs torn off. Like, if Doro was sort of in the middle plus of the scale, this is probably at the outer edge. Uh, if that's your thing, go for it. But the show seems to just revel in it. Uh, and for me, another big thing was the show is very pro-torture, mm. which is very unsettling. Like, is there a criminal that Japan has captured? We'll pump him full of magical sodium pentothal and beat him up till he talks. Did we take an enemy magical girl alive? Well, enhance her senses with drugs and then relentlessly torture her for days until she's literally walking on all fours, barking like a dog to avoid further pain. Like, every time the good guys torture someone, it just works out great for them. And you're like, why? Uh, And then somehow, alongside both of the things I just said, so much fan service. Uh, ah, along, alongside gore, come, alongside gore, alongside comes, gore uh, and torture comes fan service. Yeah, and it's just so out of place. Like in a couple of spots, I had thought they were going to contrast the peaceful lives of, of the blissfully unaware citizens with the harsh realities of those protecting them, and then they just cut back to like jiggly beach volleyball or whatever, and you're like, what? What? You're, what's the message you're trying to send here? The sleaze is strong. It's very strong. Like, oh my god. Like goodness. Chris Hansen is peeking out of every corner of the show. Arresting everyone. Oh yeah, there's yeah. Most of the people in the show probably need to get arrested. So just yeah, gruesome things happen to people all the time and then there's fan service. So can I recommend it? No. <laughs> I don't think I would watch it again if given the chance, and I don't and like there's obviously more seasons to follow. Like we've the, the main villain like hasn't even been glimpsed yet, but I will not follow later seasons if they get released. And there's sexual assault of, for a girl in a wheelchair. That so does happen. Judgment. Oh. That judgment. does also happen. Ah. Like that. Like no part in the show was more heavy-handed than that sequence. Like you have the, like the classic alcoholic dad who's beating his wheelchair-bound daughter uh, because he couldn't sell her off into sexual slavery. You're like. How, who wrote this? How, like, it doesn't even make sense. How did, how did, who bought her a wheelchair if you're this much of a deadbeat? Like, I don't even understand. But what I understand is thankfully I can judge you now. Thanks to that wheelchair girl. Judge, judge, judge. Judge, judge, judge. That's all I do. That's all you do. Yeah, it's, uh. Ugh. If you say, if you, if you know someone that liked Asuka, please judge them. Yes, you too. Speaking of judging. Can put down that judgment. Speaking of judging, there was another show that I dropped uh, relatively early on that I believe Scott carried on with. Me too. Oh, I forgot. Both of you followed Oh, this this is going to be a tag team. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Tag in. Let's go. All right, guys. We're going to talk about um, the cost of smiles, the price of smiles, um, whichever floats the fair rope. market value of smiles. So, yeah, there were some smiles. They cost some stuff. Um, this show was so bad. Oh my goodness! So, like, like I have one pro, wow. which was an interesting premise. My cons start with a premise that never paid off. <laughs> yeah. So episode one, it was definitely an Izetta moment where episode one had this like really neat idea. I mean, and 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 then it just collapses from from there in a, in a dumpster Never fire so anywhere that guy got that video wrong it's really that the price of smiles is a dumpster fire so i don't know what he was doing so anyway um there are two nations salil and grandiga uh they've been at war for quite some time now but the princess of salil yuki is blissfully unaware of really what's going on with the war yeah, like everyone in the country protects her from real knowledge 
Exactly. So they're all like keeping her in the fluffy duffy world of princessdom. At the same time, um, Salil is developing this technology called CRARS, or they're cultivating it. I guess it already exists. And they're they're looking to put it into their mechs. Uh, both sides have these mechs, which are like, I don't know, Gundam light. Like, they're they're not very good looking. Yeah, they float around and they shoot at each other and they're... They're not that interesting. The honestly. only thing I remember from yeah. the beginning of that se- series, besides that premise, is the fact that the enemy had way better looking mechs than the good than the supposed good guys. Yeah, the good guys have like shiny, like almost too glossy CG type mechs, and then uh, you got the other side. Grandiga looks a little more Gundamish. Uh. Would you say, Dan? Like they they have the Gundamish more face. grunt Gundam kind of thing. Like it definitely reminded me of some of the uh, cooler, you know, like a you know, like a Zaku. Or yeah, something. something that's built for war rather than this like weird knightly thing they've got going, which you'd think they would have abandoned after a like decades long war. Seriously, so that's that's the idea here. The Krars are really important. Grandiga kind of wants them, and all right, you've got yourself a war. Uh, the interesting idea behind this is that really early on, like episode one, Yuki's best friend and pseudo love interest dies, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, you guys have been hiding all this stuff from me." And Scott and I were so ready for her to like grow up and become a person, and it was going to be this yeah. interesting character study of her, like, you know, learning the price of smiles. Hey. Name drop, go. Yeah, like, what does it take to protect my people? And also, like, early on, she's like, it turns out she's actually pretty smart at, I don't know, tactics. Like, looking at something and finding an unconventional solution. You're like, oh, she's going to use that to change the course of the war in her favor. No. No. Very no. (laughs) So we get a couple episodes with Salil, and then we start getting a couple episodes with Grandiga. Let me just say... This entire show, this is this is my husband's <laughs> quote, so I gotta give Alex credit for this. This entire show is written by a Grandiga sympathizer. Absolutely. Because every single time Grandiga is on screen, you're supposed to feel bad. I mean, we're not talking shield hero manipulative bad, but like, you're just supposed to feel for them like, oh, they're this tight-knit squad, and the captain of the squad takes care of war orphans, and the other guy... Like worked on a farm. Yeah, like they're, they're good go people forced farm. into oh. being soldiers on beh- like on behalf of their like sure they work for the the quote unquote bad guys, but they're good people at heart. Exactly. Don't you feel bad? And then the connection is um, one of the retainers of Yuki is this woman named Layla, and her daughter was lost in the terrorist attack that took Yuki's parents. And her daughter and her husband. And it turns out her daughter actually survived and is a soldier in the Grandiga squad we're covering. So you're like, yeah, I don't don't know. So you're like, okay, all right. I know where this is going. I've watched enough anime to know that that's going to be the tipping point. Like mother and daughter are going to meet and then that's going to like tip it all in favor of them pseudo working together. Holy the, wow. the theme song, by the way, is like, oh, look at these two girls on different sides, but like they're holding hands in a field of sunflowers, and like you know, everything's gonna be great. They're gonna they're gonna get together and like from working on different sides from their different perspectives, change the war. Well, also no, like yeah, guys, lies and deceit. Every part so, of the show is a lie. Yeah, every part of it, it, it's just so bad. So first of all, we'll just talk about the quick stuff. Uh, the animation nose dives middle of the show, like. Wow, it gets and it bad. wasn't exactly great to begin uh, with. Like it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty it was middle like of the road and like, line, eh. and it just gets bad. Um, so that that was unfortunate, and the show just wastes copious amounts of time giving us episodes with Team Grandiga, and then you're like, <laughs> I don't care about cre- Team Grandiga. Go back to Yuki turning into a yeah, good leader. That was actually and interesting. That is the soul breaker. So first of oh. all, Grandiga like. At one point, they lose two members of their squad eventually. Well, three. One is like some nameless mook. I don't even remember him. They replace <laughs> him with some other guy. Some other guy dies in a like explosion, and he don't really care. And then the leader dies, and they make a big, grandiose show like of Like, for it. two now episodes. On, yeah. Now, on Team Salil, everybody yeah, like, dies. So Yuki has a large, large cadre of extremely dedicated and loyal advisors who want nothing more than for her to be happy. And like 
all of them die tragically. Yes, all of them die in like, these not, not tragic, in an explosion. Like, like, ways. One at a time, no. they'll go out there and be like, I'm going to hold back the enemy. I'm going to infiltrate the enemy fortress. I'm also going to hold back the enemy. And like every one of them dies horribly. Every one of them dies. And you're just like, come on. So this really was the hill they decided to die on. Yeah, well, here's the best part, Dan. There are a ton of hills. <laughs> Let's just start with that. Oh, there so, we go. Yuki, Yuki at one point retreats from their main uh, castle in Salil, and she runs to this other fortress. Dan, it's great. Like, So she uses these clever tactics to stall Grandiga, and then they're Tells like, the narrator, us the narrator is like, yeah. oh, yeah, Yuki is like learning some tactics. She's, de- you know deflecting the enemy but not with too much violence and you're like yes yes my payoff it's coming no it's never coming i made a joke to scott when we would talk about it that it was kind of like that sequence from the lego movie where batman is like to the batmobile and then it blows up and he's like dang it and then wonder (laughs) woman comes out and she's like to the invisible jet and then it blows up and she's like oh dang it it's like that like yuki keeps on retreating to different fortresses, and they're like, the Leo base, the other base, this base, that base. I was like, how many bases yeah, do you they're have? They're attacking through two different countries at once. We can't lose one of them. You're like, can we? I don't, where is it? Yeah, so you have no concept of where anything is at all. You have no concept of, like, how many bases or whatever Yuki has. She just continuously retreats, 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 as she watches, like, all of her forces die. There's zero payoff to her losing all of these people tragically. Like, inevitably, they toss in a, like, Miyazaki moment. Dan, get ready. They're they're talking a Miyazaki moment where they go, the Krars are destroying the Earth. (laughs) And ultimately, the plot becomes we need to go to this other secret base, which is in pristine condition, by the way. Yeah, like 20 years ago. And shut down the Krars, thusly ending the war. And it'll be great. And you're like, guys, there's a terrorist plot. Like, Yuki, you find out later Yuki's parents were killed, like, by a totally different organization. It's all been a mistake. Like, it wasn't actually Grandiga. It was a, t- a different faction oh, that wanted to get rid of the Krars. You discover that... Um, what else is there? That Like, the, ho- the whole thing is just kind of a lot. Oh, there's an emperor on the Grandiga side who's, like, horribly ruthless. Yeah, but, like, he's, like, I'm ruthless, and also I had a difficult past, and I understand the meaning of power... And like that was his two lines for the entire show. You're like, he never we, comes up again. Like, are we gonna, are we gonna expand on that? Like, there's a person leading the enemy forces, like like the general leading the forces, and it's like, hey, that guy, uh, like or that girl, I guess. Are we gonna learn more about her because she keeps being on the screen? No, no. Guys, this this show is a disaster all the way through. There is no payoff. The ending is complete BS. Like I was yelling at the screen. They just like. Shut down the cars, and they're like, and life was good for everyone. Like, it was like the Lion King immediately <laughs> oh my goodness. grass grows. Everything was great. Like, we flipped the resolve switch. No, Dan, I'm telling you, there is literally a gigantic person-sized button, and when they press it, it fixes everything. <laughs> There's a huge, like, it's the magic Tron umbrella 5, that comes out. It's the last ten minutes of the show. With, like, the, the two girls, they meet in the last ten minutes, and then they push the button, and everything is fixed. I was like, what? are you and- kidding me? Just to make me super mad, the mom and the daughter never interact. They have one interaction. The mother notices it is her daughter, and then the building falls on her. (laughs) So, so for those of you that were hoping for that, me, your bitterness, you too can feel it. So, Uh, Price of Smiles, guys. That was a lot, but Scott and I are in total agreement that this show is garbage. Like, this show has no redeeming quality. Flat out, no. No one should watch it. Like, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, alrighty, so avoid this show at all costs. Scott, let's end with oh, let's Endro. End with, let's end with something much nicer, Endro. Um, Endro was great. Scott, I'm really glad you got me into this one. I kind of dodged it because I was very worried that it was Fantasy Meets Kaon. I was like, oh no, oh, I yeah. read the premise, and uh, these four girls are um, part of an adventuring party. We're like in ye old adventuring time where like you get quests, and there's monsters and dragons, and you get treasure. Um... And these four girls are in an adventuring party. One of them is the hero. The hero. The hero. Who faces down the demon lord, yeah. Yes, the hero is supposed to come about to defeat the demon lord. Wait a minute. Tragically. I thought that Mao Yu didn't get a second season. (laughs) It's so funny you say that. 
because the demon lord has been sucked through a portal and turned into a small girl with little wings whose name happens to be Dan, Mao. Oi. <laughs> and she teaches, so her plan becomes, I'm going to become the teacher at the school where these girls are because she goes backwards in time. This is sounding really meets familiar. the adventuring party. Yeah, like, like she, they she are knows the that they're the adventuring party. party. They don't know they ever fought. They don't her. know this. So she's like, I'm going to teach them at the school and get them expelled <laughs> so they can never actually defeat like, me. Like, become. And... They'll never become the hero if they don't, like... Right. Yeah. Okay, guys, this show is absolutely adorable. It's it so throws great. its premise clean out, pretty much, by the way. And it's just, like, slice-of-lifey adventuring. These girls are super cute. Like, think Bottle Fairy. It's like Bottle cute. Fairy, yeah. It's like Bottle Fairy. They're just doofy and fun in their own way. They poke fun at the show, like... Uh, one of my favorite moments, Brendan, I actually thought of you, like, the teacher is like, how did you four get together? And each one of them in turn, there's an elf girl, there's, like, a girl who's practically a wild child, she has these, like, big fisticuff things, uh, there's Yusha, the leader, and then there's the girl who does magic and is, like, obsessed with the magic system they have in the world. And uh, the teacher's like, how did you four even get together in a party? And each one of them is like, I don't know. You looked friendly. We sat next to each other. We're four girls sitting in a square. And then the girl <laughs> with the magic, like, looks at the camera. It zooms in. And she goes, like, a spotlight comes on. And she's like, no, it was destiny that brought us together. <laughs> and Brendan, somehow I thought of you because it felt like, I don't know, that Greta moment from Snow Fairy Sugar or something. Like, where the show was fully self-aware. Oh, cool. And... And I was like, oh, where's Brendan right now? Yeah, it's not a good sense of humor. I actually laughed out loud at a couple of moments watching it. I was like, oh, yeah, all right. A wonderful sense of humor. So it's soft, it's fluffy, it's fun. Uh, There's no real stakes. Just, you know, just enjoy, watch the show, and forget you ever heard Scott talk about Asuka. So recommended. Also, yeah, like surprisingly um, good opening and ending themes, too. I liked both, which is kind of rare. Neato. Good stuff. Yeah, it's a good time, so it was a blast, and yeah, you should check it out. Hmm. That's good to hear. Man, that was so many shows. We had a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. I blame you, Scott. I blame me, too. Yeah, it's all your fault. All right, so we hope you heard about the good, the bad, and forget you ever heard about Asuka, because Chris Hansen is coming for you. And so, Costa Smiles. Yeah. Instead, watch My Roommate is a Cat. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is the anti-Asuka in so many ways. Yeah. Hooray! All right. Well, this was fun. Join us for the Spring Corps, where hopefully we have a better selection of stuff and Scott doesn't bury his life in too many shows. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Tune in next time. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.